0: Alright, hello everyone, welcome back. This is Jacob joining you as always, and this is day two of our musical spark notes here at Attention to Detail, where we're reviewing Wagner's Ring Cycle, and today we're going to look at Act One of Die Valkyrie. Valkyrie is the first big opera in the Ring Cycle. If you remember, the last time we were here, we reviewed Das Rheingold, which is the prelude opera of sorts. And now we're gonna dig into the first act of the first large opera that we've encountered, the Valkyrie. Just a quick review of what happened in Das Rheingold. We were introduced to many characters. We've got Wotan, the head of the gods. We had the two giants, Fasolt and Fafner. Fafner has taken the ring from Wotan, along with this magic helmet called the Tarnhelm. And so Fafner, the giant, is now in possession of this ring. Votan is upset by this, and he's also fallen under the spell of the ring, as many have already. Votan had taken the ring from Alberic, who was the original forger of the ring, the stealer of the Rheingold, this dwarf. Um, and that is effectively, and Votan got this very important warning at the end of Das Rheingold from the goddess Erda, the goddess of nature, who told him that, you know, the ring was going to. Is a harbinger of uh, bad things to come. It, it ill befalls anyone who holds the ring, and so she gave him this very stark warning, which we don't know if he will heed or not. So now we come to Valkyrie, and actually a lot has happened since Das Gold ended before we start Valkyrie. Since we left off, Fafner has used this Tarnhelm, this magic helmet, to transform himself into a dragon. That's something that we saw Alberic do in Das Rheingold, and we heard the motif of a dragon. And so Fafner has transformed himself into a dragon to be able to guard the ring, which is now his most prized possession. He's killed his brother over this ring, and so he's guarding it as a dragon. Wotan has also had uh, several kids. Um, he's really made his the rounds around uh, several spheres of the world. Because as we talked about in Das Rheingold, we have the kind of world of the gods, the world of the mortals, and the world of the underworld of dwarfs, of Albarek. And has had many kids with Erda, the goddess who gave him the warning. Clearly they put that past them and um, uh, they had some kids. And one of them is... All of their kids are these creatures called Valkyries that can fly. Their role is to rescue heroes, dead heroes, and bring them back to guard Valhalla. So they've had all these Valkyries, and one of those Valkyries is Brunhilde, who's going to be one of the main characters of the Ring Cycle. And Wotan, in addition to having a lot of kids with Erda in the Heavenly Realm, he's also wandered the Earth, and he had two kids with a mortal, what's called a Volsung, which is a race. Um, this is a race that's described in the Volsunga saga, which is this Norse mythology. That's one of the main sources of inspiration for the ring along with the Norse Eddas. And so Votanus had a kid with some woman of the Volsung race and those kids were separated at birth. Their names are Zygmund and Zyglinda. Um, and so that's where we're at. Votan has had a lot of kids. Some of them are half god, half mortal. Some of them are all god, like Brunhilde. Um, and most of the content of this Valkyrie opera comes from this Volsunga saga. Um, and it's it's unclear if... It, it departs a little bit from the story of the Volsunga saga. Like It's unclear if Votan has had these kids, Sigmund and Siglinda, who are going to be the main characters of... of this opera, Valkyrie, it's unclear if the woman who he had the kids with was a member of the Volsung race or if Votan is Volsa himself, the, the creator of the Volsung race. Um, I think it's the former, but it departs a little bit from some elements of the story. But that's where the main inspiration comes from, these Norse myths. So in any case, that's where we are, and we open on a storm. It's, it's storming outside, and our character of Siegfried, uh, I mean, Siegmund, excuse me, is going to enter the scene. But the prelude, the very opening notes of this Valkyrie opera are incredible. We, we open on this storm, and so we should listen to a little bit of the, the opening music of Die Valkyrie <laughs> so that's the opening. We hear this tremolo in the strings, this shaking, clearly very stormy music. We know we're in for a bumpy ride in this opera. And then a little bit later, we hear a motif. We didn't highlight it in our last episode, but maybe we should listen to it now. It's the motif of thunder. And if you listen closely to Das Rheingold, the god Donner, who's the god of thunder, sang this motif that goes... Bum-bum, bum-bum, bum-bum. And we hear the same thunder now in the context of this storm in the world of, in the earthly world. So here's just a little bit later, still in the prelude, where we hear the thunder come in and the storm really gets ratcheted up. So after this storm, our character of Zygmunt enters the scene. And I should say that first act of Valkyrie is a perplexing one. It's not the best music ever written in the ring and not a lot happens, to be honest. It's also, it's short by Wagner standards. It's only an hour and 10 minutes long, um, which, yeah, I know it doesn't seem short, but but it is short by Wagner standards. Um Das Rheingold, for example, was almost two and a half hours. So, But despite it being short by Wagnerian standards, a surprisingly little amount happens in this act. But our first scene, which we walk into, is really this kind of extended love scene between Sigmund and Zieglinda, Or they're at least kind of, there's the hintings of them falling in love at some point in the future. It's kind of slightly flirtatious. And so when Zygmunt enters, we're, we're introduced to his motif, which is going to permeate a lot of this scene. And here's how that sounds. Bastion. So if we remember who Sigmund's father is, it's Wotan, and we hear Zygmunt's Motif there that goes like this. And if we remember what Votan's spear, the signal of his justice, his manhood, you know, his aggressiveness, what that sounded like, it sounded like this. So clearly these two. Ideas are related. Now, Zygmunt enters the scene and he talks a little bit about, you know, where is he? Uh, uh, what has he stumbled on? And he enters this house, which happens to be Zyglinda's house. And so Ziglinda enters the scene as well. And we hear, hear her motif, her leitmotif as well. And here's what that sounds like. So there is Zyglinda's motif, very tender leitmotif. And then, so he's thirsty, she brings him some water, he seems to be kind of injured or tired. And then we hear this extended passage for the solo cello in the cello section, where we hear an iteration of the leitmotif that will become the twins' love. They ha- these happen to be our twins from Votan that were separated at birth. And of course, they've stumbled across each other here and they're about to fall in love. We'll talk about how, you know, the incestual nature of this whole plot in a second, but here's the motif of the twins love a very important leitmotif presented originally in the solo cello. All right, so there's our motifs that we need to know for our first scene: Sigmund, Siglinda, and their the love of these two twins. Then a little bit of stuff happens. Sigmund kind of tells how he got there. He seems to feel renewed a little bit now that he's there. Siglinda gives him a drink of water, and they seem to kind of fall in love in some way. So we hear a lot of romantic music, their love theme, this thing that we just heard over and over. And then towards the end of the scene, he says, you know, he has to leave because ill follows him everywhere. Um, And Siglinda says, you can stay because ill has already befallen this house that I'm living in. Um, So there's nothing, there's no more bad omens or anything like that that you you can bring upon this house. And that is the end of our first scene, it's a pretty short first scene and not that much happens. And then we get to scene two and our other main character of this first act shows up. His name is Hunding and he happens to be the husband of Siglinda and he's not a good guy. Um, And so we start scene two by hearing Hunding's motif. Um, or leitmotif and this we hear this in C minor which if you happen to be following our keys here that's the key that we've had several times already whenever uh, something bad happens or that was our renunciation of love key that happened all of the negative moments in, uh, in Rheingold. So in any case here is Hunding, uh, Hunding's leitmotif kind of domineering, aggressive, imposing at the beginning of scene two. So we get introduced to that idea at the beginning of this scene. Um, we hear a lot of Zygmunt and Siglinda's motifs, as well, Hunding welcomes him to the house, and he says he kind of has a similar look to Zyglinda, and so that maybe sets off the first little bit of alarm bells. And then he asks for his name, and, he, you know, what, what, what's your name? Uh, you're coming into my house. And Zigmund's name, it's this very weird aspect of this act, but, like, the fact that he's named Zigmund is... Very important. All of the characters' names are very important to themselves and to the other characters for some reason. And so he asks him what his name is, and then we hear this leitmotif, which is the leitmotif of the, we might think of it as like their familial line, this Volsung race. So let's listen to what happens right when when Hunding asks what his name actually is. So we hear that motif introduced in the instrument of the bass clarinet that's going to be an important instrument in the ring cycle the bass clarinet and it sounded like this so yeah that's going to be our kind of volsung race motif or something like that it's actually not going to be that important for us now, but it's one of those motifs that's going to be kind of generative of other motifs that are to come later. Um, so any descendant of Votan is going to be involved in that kind of Volson light motif idea. So he says that his name is Vevolt, which means like, kind of. There's, ve is pain, and so he's, he's really leaning into this idea that his life has just been pain and suffering. Um, and he tells his story. He tells someone killed his mother, his sister, his twin sister fled, and he wandered the world with his father, Volfa, who he calls. Um, and at the moment where he's talking about his mother being killed... Um, I just want to play a very little clip in this long kind of aria-esque section where Zygmunt is singing about his life, but there's a couple important moments, so let's listen to the first one here when he's talking about the moment when his mother got killed. So right there at the end, we hear Hunding's motif, just because he's, he's talking to Hunding, he's interacting with him, but on that line, he's talking about the Nightings, their needings, the, some, some other race, their cruel host had dealt us this deadly blow, talking about his mother being killed, and he sings these notes. <laughs> and if you remember got our keen light motif ears activated our curse motif sounds like this
1: <laughs>
0: that thing that alberic sang when he cursed the ring and that we've heard now several times since like when fafner killed his brother fasolt so in some way the ring has been really exerting its power of course, Sigmund's mother would have been this Volsung woman that Votan had a kid with, or had two kids with, and so she got impacted by the, this curse that's on Votan. The ring seems to be rearing its its curse, this idea that ill will befall whoever tries to take the ring, um, all over the place, and so we hear the curse motif there. He says he lives in he lived in exile with his father for a while and then he says at one point he got separated from his father and then in the woods a wolf skin i found alone there empty it lay my father found i not so he had lost his father his father for some reason was named wolfa or wolf and so this wolf skin is representative of his lost father there's all this weird kind of confusing imagery which we can just push past but in any case, he got separated from his father. He finds this wolf skin, but he couldn't find his father. Here's what we hear right when he sings that moment, when he got separated from his father for the last time. <laughs> So there, again, if we've got our keen light motif ears on, we know both who his father was and where his father had. Return to, we hear this motif. Which is our motif of Valhalla. It's representative of Votan. And so there we go. Of course, that brass chorale comes when he sings that line. So he's wandered around the world, his, his painful, pathetic life in search of women, friendship, whatever he can find. He hasn't found any. And he also mentions that he's lost his weapon. He's, he's this hero and, you know, his weapon is all that matters to him. It's what represents his manhood and uh, testosterone-driven life. It's a very gendered plot in many ways and uh, old-fashioned and, you know, maybe not old-fashioned because it seems to be that there's still a lot of people who need to have weapons themselves, but in any case, uh, Sigmund is someone who feels like he needs to have a weapon and he's lost his weapon. And Zyglinda asks him how that happened. And he tells the story of how he was defending this poor, innocent maid from harm. Very heroically, this band of thugs was, was attacking her and they disarmed him. And in the end, the maid got killed and he fled without his, uh, without his weapon. And at this point when he's telling yet another tragic story, we hear another very important motif, which is the idea of this motif seems to turn up. It's kind of the tragic fate of this Volsung race. It seems like this race is somehow cursed. We know them to be cursed um, because there's this curse going on that's rearing its head everywhere but this is a motif that we can think of as kind of the tragic fate motif of the volsungs so it's going to come again when when tragedy befalls one of votan's descendants so here is that motif very important one Now we're really going to have to activate our long distance hearing in this piece and especially with this motif that's what the ring really requires you to do is to commit these things to memory and remember remember them 15 hours of music later because what we just heard is going to come back in an incredibly important moment at the end of this entire cycle so we'll We'll table it for now, but but that's a really important one that's going to come up at key moments. So we hear that motif, the tragic fate of the Volsungs, um, and it actually, it turns out that Hunding, this bad guy, he's got this imposing C minor leitmotif himself, he has been one of Zygmunt's pursuers that chased him in this storm, and he's out been hunting Volsungs, and... Uh, this is, you know, he doesn't like Volsung's. Um, so he's letting Sigmund stay the night, but tomorrow they're going to duel and they're going to battle. And so there's this long orchestral interlude. Hunding leaves and says like, you know, tomorrow there's the smackdown and we're going to duel and that's going to be, um, you get one night to stay here. And we get this long orchestral interlude where Zyglinda is preparing a drink for Hunding in his nightly drink. But somehow she seems to be slipping something into it. Um, This whole passage, it's long, but it's important to see kind of actually staged because there's a lot of silent action that's going on while these orchestral interludes are going. We hear Zyglinda's motif and Zygmunt's and Hunding's and all these things. But then, very importantly, she glances over at this tree. It's unclear how the tree is there. It seems like there's a tree inside the house. Ha- they're supposed to be in a house, but also there's a tree. Um, so unclear why there's a tree in the middle of the house. Or maybe the tree is outside and they walk outside, but there's a tree. And she looks at this. She glances at this spot in the tree. And she gives this little passing glance, but there's this little glimmer in her eye. And when she does that, we hear this. Very, very important music for the first time. So she looks at the tree and here's what we hear. So there's this kind of shimmering texture and suddenly we hear this new motif, one of the most important motifs in the entire ring cycle, which goes... (laughs) And we don't know what that motif is gonna be yet and in fact, I'm not even gonna say what it is yet. She's just looked at this spot in a tree, and something is there. Something is there. So, in any case, we transition then to the third scene, the third and final scene of Act 1, and Zygmunt is alone, and he's uh, he's sitting by himself now, and he's lamenting the fact that he doesn't have a weapon, and he's been challenged to a duel tomorrow. But it turns out his father, which now, for some reason, he was calling his father Vulfa before, now he's calling his father Velsa. All of these names, honestly, I can't even keep track and I don't expect you to either and I don't think they're very important, but he's talking about how his father would, uh, he told him that a sword would show up and serve him in his time of need. Some sort of sword, this kind of Excalibur, sword in the stone moment. And we get this long, again, Wagner didn't write arias, but the equivalent of a long ariar monologue from Siegfried. Very heroic singing. And this is a very important moment in the plot. And so we'll listen to like two minutes of music here because uh, he's getting worked up and he's crying out, Father, where is your sword? Where is this? I need it. This is my time of need. Where have you placed it? And so let's listen to about two minutes of music here. Sigmund singing, pleading for his father to present him with a weapon.
2: Spin, das stärke das im Sturm ich Nicht war Was gleich hell im Dimmer ein Strahle bricht aus der Eschestand?
0: so long period of music there um the tail end of this act we get these long stretches of very heroic very romantic music but we hear at the beginning he's pleading out to his father where is this sword there's this kind of torment in the music and then we get this motif again that we just heard now that we hear it in c major super important key the the polar opposite, the sunlight, daylight version of C minor, which has been our negative key. We hear C major and we hear this motif. And it turns out we are now, we figure out what this motif is. It's the motif of the sword, this sword that he calls, the sword's name is going to be Nōtung. Um, N-O-T-H-U-N-G. Um, and he sees the sword now in the tree. That's what Ziglinda had looked at, this glancing look, and we had heard this little leitmotif, and now we see the sword actually in the tree, and towards the tail end, you hear Zygmunt going into this, again, kind of this held-in heroic held-in. Th- there's this... Um, Wagner singer called a Helden tenor, which is uh, specifically for Wagner. You have to have this heroic kind of piercing, strident voice that can command these huge romantic sections like we hear here. And Zygmunt really flies into this loud, heroic, romantic aria. Um, Zyglinda returns then, and it turns out she's drugged Hunding's drink, not aggressively, but just had him fall asleep and he's you know super asleep and there's no chance he'll wake up with all this very loud singing going on on stage um and she tells about how a man with an eye patch had come and plunged a sword into the tree and so she's telling him about how the sword got there it was this wanderer this man with an eye patch and of course our trusty motifs when we when she sings this line about the man who plunged the sword into the tree here is what we hear <laughs> So hopefully if we're starting to recognize these leitmotifs, this is one of the ones that we can get. This is again Valhalla and it tells us that it's Votan who put the sword here for Zygmunt to find. There's tons of loud romantic singing. They're kind of just both waxing poetically about the sword, about heroism, about love. And Zygmunt then delves into this actual love song because in the process of all of this sword madness, this, uh you know, the adrenaline of having to duel this hunding guy tomorrow, he's realized that he's very much in love with this character of Zyglinda, we which we kind of found out already in the first scene. Um, and so he sings this love song and this has an important melody that we should listen to. So here's a little bit of Zygmunt's love song
2: in mm-hmm.
0: I've always found this moment a little interesting because, you know, Wagner was so anti-opera, so uh, anti-aria. And to me, this really sounds like a... This could be straight out of a Dvorak opera, maybe, or certainly an opera that has arias and this nice, romantic, slightly folksy sound to this, This what to me strikes me as effectively like an aria, a love song, and... For all of Wagner, that's so anti-aria, anti-melody, um, and for most of this Ring Cycle, which doesn't sound anything like this, we get this beautiful melody. It's just always sounded to me like a, this, this nice, beautiful, simple melody, Sig, Sigmund's love song. So again, he goes on and waxes poetically for a while about love, about Ziglinda. So most of the action of this first act, at least a lot of the action of this first act, comes in the last 10 minutes or so. There's all this romantic singing going on, and I want to listen to like a two-minute clip here, um, a longer clip again. This is where Sigmund is singing his love song, and suddenly Ziglinda has kind of realized that his father is this guy. He was singing about Velsa or Vulfa, whoever it might be, but we know that to be Votan. She realizes that he's a, a Volsung, one of these, a member of this race. And she names him, she says his name is Zygmunt. And this is, again, like their name for some reason is really important. And so her naming him Zygmunt is this big consequential development. And... A little bit into this clip, you're going to hear, um, this, this motif that I'll, I'll highlight when, when it comes, uh, comes through. But, uh, we hear on this line that says holiest loves, most highest need, love longings, piercing passionate need, burning bright in my breast drives to deeds and death. And so there's this idea that, um. We've already been exposed to the concept that the only way to overcome all of these ills that are going to befall these characters is to renounce love. And this scene is the opposite of the renunciation of love. This is the ultimate ecstatic love scene. And so we're going to hear an important motif when that actually, when that moment, that line comes. But let's listen to this two-minute clip of music. This is right towards the end. A lot of stuff happens here. me mm-hmm. So we cut it off there right before uh, kind of the crowning moment of this entire act, which I promise we will listen to, but a lot happened in that clip. So you hear that kind of, I mean, ecstatic singing. She names him Zigmund. It's this big moment. He comes in again, one of these kind of held in tenor moments where massive uh, tenor voice soaring over the orchestra. And then very importantly, Very importantly, at that moment where I mentioned holiest love's most highest need, it says, burning bright in my breast drives to deeds and death. We hear this motif, which we may have recognized, that goes like this. And it happens to be in in C minor. Our key that we know is associated with all of these bad moments in the plot. And so it's this little glimpse of, of uh, something that will come that's that's not positive amongst this, again, ecstatic scene, really. And then he, of course, he's naming things. They're in the spirit of, they're just like, let me throw a name on anything I can attach here. And so he names his sword Notung, N-O-T-H-U-N-G, N-O-T-H-U-N-G. And we hear this motif of the sword, tune. We've already heard one sword motif, but he sings this octave that falls that sounds like this. And then he repeats it. So that's another motif that we should be aware of, of just he's named this Uh let me name you this sword. And then at the moment that we just cut out, this amazing moment, the end of the act, he, he's going to pull out the sword from the tree. And at that moment, they're going to learn, that finally realize, okay, we're brother and sister. They're going to profess their love for each other. Um, and when they do that, of course, we will hear this. We'll hear his love song motif that he sang just recently. Um, that'll come back once again. And then the act is going to end Uh, with this motif that we've heard from the very, very beginning of the act of the twins' love. So there will be a lot to hear in this last two-minute clip, which we have to listen to the end of this first act. It's a stunning ending to the first act, an act that admittedly I think is not one of Wagner's best, but it really ramps up at the end. In a way, it's massively overindulgent at the end, I find. I mean, we've had about... The, the whole last scene, the third scene is like 20 minutes plus, 25 minutes of this real, just like, uh, yeah, indulgent is the only word, um, massive orchestra, highly romantic. Um, but these last four minutes are really, really where you get your money's worth. So let's listen to right where we left off. We heard the trumpet coming in and we can maybe imagine what we're going to hear. He's about to pull the sword out of the tree. So we'll hear the sword motif, and then they'll realize their brother and sister, profess their love. We'll hear that love song, and we'll hear their, the motif that represents the twins' love for each other uh, as the act closes. So here's the last two minutes of Valkyrie Enjoy. Joy.